0: Sir, it is said in the Gita that whenever there is rise in evil, the Lord will come. But sir, good and evil both are defined by ego. Then what is this evil that Lord will come to destroy? Devish, there are two kinds of evil, just as we are two. Hmm? We are two, we operate from two centers. Similarly, there are two evils and two kinds of virtues as well. There is one evil that the ego labels as evil. Hmm? It is the counterpart of virtue. There is one bad that the ego calls as bad. It is the shadow of good. It is the dual companion of good. So you can comfortably limit yourself to the definition provided by the ego. That there is the good and the evil and both are as per my choice, my knowledge, my universe of which I am the centre. Or you have the option to move to a more sublime understanding of evil, which is that evil is not what the ego decides to be evil, but the evil is whatever the ego decides. Usually we call that as evil which we want to call as evil. Hmm? It is not that the evil is that which we want to call as evil. The evil lies in the very act of wanting. The ego itself is the evil and the devil. What is the evil? Not the counterpart of good. Not one end of duality. But the entire game of duality. Whenever you operate from the center of ego. This is evil. Now operating from the center of the ego, you may act very pious. You may be doing all the virtuous acts and yet it would all be evil because the very center is that of ego because the very root is poisonous. So seated in the ego whatever you do, acts of seemingly great virtue, acts of deep morality, acts that seem like religious acts, service, help, care, concern, love, passion. It is all evil because it is all arising from the ego. What is not evil then? what is not evil? that is the central question that the Gita takes up what is it that is worth doing? what is it that is not worthy of renunciation? how does a man live? what is his dharma? And the answer is very simple. Don't even decide. Whatever you will decide will come from you. Make way for the action to happen. Have the guts to step out of your own way. You are the evil and once you are gone, whatever is left is not evil. You cannot fight the evil because the evil is not separate from you. You are the evil. Even your best intention is just an evil intention. So what does Krishna mean when he says that whenever there is a rise in evil, the Lord comes. Whenever there is rise in evil whenever ignorance and arrogance rise obviously the result is suffering the Lord does not drop physically somewhere from the heavens The metaphor must be understood it does not mean that whenever there would be people of a certain kind who would be behaving in evil ways then some avatar will descend from the skies what it simply means is that whenever the ego inflates The consequence is suffering and suffering itself calls for its cessation. You do not like to suffer. The ego is caught in a quandary. It likes to be inflated but it does not like to suffer. But the natural consequence of its own inflation is suffering. It likes to be big. It likes to act powerful. But the more powerful it acts, the more it suffers. And suffering is something it doesn't like. So the very inflation of the ego, the very rise of ego, the very increase of evil is also a parallel increase in the urge to dissolve the evil, the suffering, the ego. The Lord does not come from anywhere. The ego sees its own futility its vanity and surrenders that is what krishna means when he says that i come two things have to be understood first krishna is not a body that will come second not only is krishna not a body There is also no question of his coming because he is the only element that IS. So where is the question of his coming and departing? First thing is, Krishna is not a body. Krishna is not a man standing in front of Arjuna and preaching. So when Krishna says, I come, I is not the limited self, the limited body, the man uttering the words. Hmm? The second thing is, in I come, not only is I to be really understood, this coming too must be really understood. Krishna cannot come. The word coming does not really apply to Krishna. When he says, I come, all he means is that I am anyway always there, you come to me. Under the load of your own evil, burning, By the flames of your own self-created hell, you come rushing to me. Krishna actually has no way of coming to Arjuna. Arjun has to come to Krishna. Are you getting it? Hmm? Krishna can call, Krishna can sit inside Arjun. Krishna can play a game in which he becomes Arjun and comes back to himself. But actually he has no way of going somewhere. He is pretty helpless, you know. How can he go anywhere? He is already there go anywhere he will have to first be absent from there his situation is such that he has no place to hide even if he hides he will have to hide under himself But we like to hear these statements that when the world will fall to the depths of evil then some great avatar or prophet will come. Do you know why we want to think this way? Because somewhere it gives us the consolation that the Prophet is not already present. We want to say that he will come. We love saying that he occasionally comes. We love saying, Yada Yada Hitharmasya. That whenever there is the loss of Dharma, only then Krishna comes. See how nicely we have interpreted it to make it conditional. We have said, Krishna will be there, you know, only when there is loss of dharma. A grave loss of dharma. So it means that he does not always have to be there. And when Krishna is not there, then the field is open for me. Hurray! Let's make merry. So ignorant, mischievous and very harmful interpretations of these famous lines from the Gita have been floating since centuries. People have been constantly clamoring that you know when there is too much evil then the avatar comes. Sir, Krishna has no way of coming. He is the only presence that is. By making his coming time-bound, by making his coming conditional, by making his coming situational, don't you see that your haughty ego is trying to create space for itself? That yes, yes, yes. The palace belongs to the king, but he visits it occasionally. So when he is not there, then I can make merry. You really are smart. Very smart. Not only does the palace belong to the king, the palace is the king. Not only Do you live in the palace of the king? You too belong to the king. You are not separate from the king. One objective that the ego has is to somehow maintain a separate identity from the great self. From the ultimate. From God. And this objective of the ego will be fulfilled in a thousand ways. Obviously, the ego wearing a pious look, the ego trying to act holy cannot directly say that I do not love Krishna or that I am not Krishna, it cannot directly say that. So it will find indirect mischievous roots. Like this. Like saying that, you know, some avatar will come. Some avatar is not going to come. He is already there. He is there in every breath you take. He is running in your veins as blood. He is arising in your mind as thoughts. There is nothing but him. You are the avtar. Now this is dangerous. So Krishna is already here. Oh my God, where is he? makes us feel nice if he is at least in the next room. But if somebody tells us that he is sitting right in front of us, it's dangerous. And it becomes suicidal when we know that he is sitting right in our heart. It is Obviously uncomfortable if Krishna is sitting in the adjoining room. It is dangerous if he is sitting in front of you. And it is suicidal if he is sitting in your heart. That cannot be accepted. So Yadaya Dharmas. Let me interpret these words according to my convenience. How does it matter where these great words came from? All that matters is my self-preservation. I must be able to preserve myself. Are you getting it? Krishna is not prompting Arjun to kill Bhishma. If you are thinking on these lines, if you are seeing multiple characters of which Krishna is another character, then you are not seeing anything. To understand Krishna is to see him in the speaker of the words, is to see him in the listener of the words, is to see him in the arrow that Arjun fires, and is to see him in every slain warrior. Are you getting it? So what is evil then? The evil is just a joke. When there is only Krishna, how can there be evil? When there is only Krishna, where is the question of evil? The very mention of evil is amusing. There can be a bit of mistake. But there is no question of something as big as evil. Because the only big is Krishna. Everything else is trivial, small, inconsequential. Why to call it evil? Call it some kind of a trivial error, some kind of a mistake. You can't give it any more weightage than that. Arjuns suffering arises not from the fact that he doesn't want to kill his relatives it arises from his basic ignorance about what is it that is all around krishna is not nudging arjun to kill his relatives Krishna is telling Arjun what this entire drama is all about. That is why the 18 chapters of Gita are required. Otherwise the thing would have been simple. Arjun, as your friend, as your mentor, I recommend that you shoot. Would have been so simple. But no, that won't solve the problem. Arjun's problem is that he does not know that he won't be firing the arrow. Arjun's problem is that he doesn't see Krishna in himself and in his Gandiva. And in his arrows. Arjun's problem is he does not see that one truth all around. And you can't call it evil. This is just a joke. You cannot see what is there. What is evil about it? You are making a mistake. There is a banana peel lying on the road in front of you. You do not see. What do you want to call it? Evil? Blasphemous? Would you go to that extent? Just say it's a mistake. And if you make that mistake, then you pay the price. What is the price? You sleep and you get hurt. That's it. So hell is nothing but a place littered with banana peels. You keep slipping. Hell is a place where the floor has been meticulously made of banana peels. You just keep slipping. Your slipping is your hell. What else is hell? Arjun is slipping. He is thinking of himself as Arjun, he is thinking of others as somebody, there is Bhishn, there is Duryodhan, there is Drona, how do I shoot at them, what will I do with all this kingdom, what do you have to do with kingdom, is the kingdom yours? It is a joke, Arjun is claiming to fight a war that is not his, Arjun is claiming to get a kingdom that is anyway not his. This is the mistake and this is the only evil. To raise yourself big. To feel responsible. And this feeling of responsibility has been drilled deep into our psyche. You are responsible, you have a duty, this is evil, this is hell. This is your useless effort at going away from Krishna. It's his game. He knows how to take care of it. It's his game. That's why when you are there. Remember you couldn't have been here had it not been his game. It's his game and he will play it. You don't matter. It hurts you, right? It pinches the ego. I don't matter. I think I am the only one that matters. You don't matter. The game will take care of itself. So relax. But that becomes too much. I have been always told that my fate is to strive Labor, suffer, how can I just relax? This lack of relaxation is evil. You want to know who an evil man is? The one who cannot relax. The one who has a thousand responsibilities, the one who thinks that he has any duty other than serving Krishna is an evil man. And that is the reason why Krishna has to say, Sarva dharmam paritakche, maam ekam sharanam vraj." Who is an evil man? Who has some duty? Except the one towards Krishna. It is very difficult to know that because we have an image of the evil in our image evil is someone with bloodshot eyes with a cruel demeanor out to hurt somebody not caring what you do not realize is that in the existential album evil may have just a totally different face in existentially evil may be a very responsible man or woman fulfilling all her duties, full of care and concern. But that is not the image that you have, right? If you are asked to draw the face of an evil man, you will never draw the face of a caring mother. You will never do that. But there lies the evil. There lies the evil. I am responsible. My child. And Krishna is clearly saying, be nirmam, be nirmam. And in your social language, nirmamta is an ugly word. The one who does not like the word nirmamta is also the one, surely the one, who does not like Krishna. Because Krishna is Nirvam. We need to get rid of our images. And if we cannot get rid of these images. We at least need to change them. Next time your kid says. Mama. Draw me an evil man. Draw the face, the soft face of a caring lady probably with a tear or two in her eyes. Maybe you can look at the mirror for inspiration. Maybe you can draw the face of a man who is donating money. To a poor man. Maybe you can draw the face of a responsible employee, a responsible father. The ideal son, the dedicated wife, I am still not sure whether Devesh understands what is evil. Krishna says, whenever evil rises, I come. But to see Krishna as Krishna, you have to first see evil as evil. Evil will rise. Krishna will come. Maybe evil is already there and Krishna is already there. But to realize Krishna, you also have to realize evil. You do not realize evil because you have images of evil. You do not look at a man preaching the scriptures and immediately say evil. Do you do that? Because it doesn't quite match with your image. Oh, the holy man, he's speaking on the Bhagavad Gita. How can he be evil? You do not look at the old grandmother praying that the granddaughter gets married before her death. You do not look at this granny and say evil do you do that no in fact you feel respectful you do not hurl abuses. you do not clutch her neck you do not run away shouting evil evil in fact you bow down and touch her feet Because you cannot see this granny as evil, so you also cannot see Krishna, even though he is all around you. When you cannot see the false as false, how will you see the true? For you, that which is false is comfortably masquerading as the true. How will you ever see the truth? You are full of social customs, etiquette, morality, responsibility. when you are so full of these, then there is no Krishna for you. Remember, I am not saying there is no Krishna. I am saying there is no Krishna for you. There is no Krishna for you. So the sun might be right vertically up your head. But you are that Little insect hiding under the rock. There is no sun for you. Now it doesn't matter that the rock itself is composed out of the energy of sun. Does the rock realize that? In its own little world, the rock is acting as a barrier to the sun. And the rock is quite pleased about it the rock doesn't even realize that its own being comes from the Sun without the Sun's energy there can be no rock and without the Sun's energy there can be no insect hiding under the rock the insect itself is the power of the Sun Krishna is not one of your mental characters. Krishna does not exist on the plane of your imagination. Krishna is that which is beyond your imagination and yet powers your imagination. Do not think of him as an ordinary being who comes and goes. You come and go. You deliver discourses. Krishna is not the speaker of the Gita. Krishna is the field in which all Gitas are recited and heard. Foolish are those who think that there is Krishna who is delivering the Gita and Arjun who is listening to it. No. There is just the field of Krishna. Beyond time, beyond space and in that the game of Leela is happening. Sometimes somebody utters a Gita, sometimes somebody listens to a Gita. It's okay. The day you start seeing Krishna Devesh, you will find it difficult to go to the Bhagavad Gita. Someone will ask you, have you read the Gita? You will say, which one? What is Gita? The utterance of Krishna. When there is only Krishna, all utterance is his utterance. All that I read is Gita. All that I see is Krishna. So which particular Gita are you talking of? Today if mankind is at a point where they have to keep going back to one particular document that was uttered a few thousand years back and if they have to be dependent on it if they have to continuously refer to that document as the final word. It is only because of their inner poverty. The process of Krishna never begins and never stops. He is a continuous creativity. His every movement is Gita. But you cannot see that. So you have to go back to one particular book. And you keep quoting from that book again and again and again and again. What is this entire world? In essence, Krishna. In view, the beauty of Krishna. As sound, the flute of Krishna. As word, The Gita of Krishna as diversity, the friends, companions, animals, trees and rivers of Krishna. What else is this world? Those who claim to respect Krishna are the ones who are actually full of contempt towards him. They are the ones who limit him to a statue. They are the ones who make him into a poster and put it up on some wall. They are the ones who do the unthinkable act of celebrating the birthday of Krishna. This is evil. This is evil. The Upanishadic seers, the entire tradition of Vedanta came from very developed minds. They certainly knew timekeeping. Yet you find no mention of dates on any Vedantic documents. They could have done that. In fact, the world's oldest calendar comes from India. So these people certainly knew this much. They could have put dates there. But they never recorded who said what and when did somebody say something. They never recorded when was Krishna born. Never. And they never recorded when did the character called Krishna die. This was out of a simple understanding and respect that he is not a character at all. Characters come and go. So dates can be given to their arrival and departure. But to Krishna, no date should be given. So they never recorded the date. They simply avoided it. And here we are, celebrating Krishna's birthday every year. This is evil, Devesh. But again, because we have images of evil, so you will never call the so-called devotees of Krishna, who celebrate Janmashtami as evil. You look at that crowd and the word evil simply doesn't come to your mind. Or does it? It doesn't come to your mind. But that is evil. To think that a Krishna is ever born is evil. When you realize the essence of Krishna, remember, you see both together. You see Krishna as Krishna and you see Maya as Maya. Oh, Maya is not abhorrent anymore because Maya too, you know to be Krishna. Krishna's Maya. Maya is just not Maya. Maya is Krishna's Maya. Yet it is not really Krishna. It belongs to Krishna, but it is not Krishna in his purity and simplicity. Hmm? And because it is Krishna Samaya, hence calling it evil is not really proper. We will just call it a joke. Or if we are in a foul mood, then we can call it a mistake. But Let's not go to the extent of calling it evil. see krishna is to rebel against stupidity it will not be possible for you to keep participating in the rubbish When his flute calls, it will not be possible for you to remain engaged in the cacophony. That is only rebellion that is there. that is what is, that is what krishna calls as i come do you understand what it means i come he doesn't come to you you go to him you go to him leaving everything else behind and you don't bother Because whatever you are leaving behind is, anyway, just a mistake. Not a big deal, is it? To leave mistakes behind. do not be victimized by these conventional images. Those who have interpreted these verses, further tell us that, you know, Krishna says, "Paritranaya sadhunam, Minashaya jadushkata. I come to redeem the sages and to punish the evildoers. Whenever evil rises, I come to help the good ones and punish all the villains. This kind of a screenplay is more suited to a C-grade Bollywood movie not to this wholly existential play. Leela doesn't operate like this. It is in a cheap thriller that the hero arrives on his sports bike to help the nice oldies Paritrana and Sadhuna What kind of sages are these that need to be helped? The sage by definition is the one who is no more in need of being helped. Get rid of that image of the sage, that old man who can be any time troubled by the mischief-makers. So, it is now upon a Krishna to come and help this poor man. Hmm? Images, images, images. So, there are these baddies roaming around. Taking away others' properties. Running away with somebody's wife. Raping a woman in the middle of a court. So Krishna is needed. Our limited, rotten, juvenile minds come up with these kinds of interpretations of the holy verses. There are no people. These verses refer to the game between the mind and the center. These verses do not refer to persons. Never think that Sadhu Naam refers to a few persons. Dushkitaam, don't think it refers to persons. Hmm? Till the time you interpret these as persons, you think of yourself as a person. Till the time you think of yourself as a person, you do not see yourself as Krishna. When you do not see Krishna, how will you ever know the Gita? So to read these verses, in the person mode, is to miss the message of Gita. Gita is spoken by Krishna and is meant to be read only by Krishna. No Arjun can ever understand the Gita. Never. Only Krishna can understand it. Until the time you insist that you are a you are an Arjun. Or a Manav or a Devesh or a Namandi or a Garima. Why bother yourself with the Gita? Why bother yourself? You do not know Krishna. How will you know Gita? Hmm?